Hey, Patrick Hines. You guys, we're doing a thing we never do. We're taking a week off. And by taking a week off, I mean we are working super, super, super hard on future episodes. We are not on vacation. We are not in the Bahamas. We are not together in any sense of the word. No, we're not (laughs) relaxing in any way. If it makes you feel better at home, in your car, wherever you're listening, we are still working hard. But we're we're putting a repeat out this week. That's what we're saying. We're taking off from the new episodes, but we are actually, right after this, recording brand new stuff for you. Totally. And you guys, we're putting out the Drew Peterson episode because it's one of Steve Tipton's favorite episodes. He thinks this is really hilarious. I mean, I barely remember recording it. I remember you hated the guy so much. I remember the bikini and the deed to the house. That's all I got. That was this running out in her, yes, to, with yeah. the car keys, the deed to the house, where I think it's like a big old timey scroll, if I remember correctly. So it's Drew Peterson and American Murder Mystery. And I just Googled us. I was like, True Crime Obsessed Drew Peterson. And then the, the screenshot came up of, of, I was like, oh, that guy. Oh, I hated him. Oh, I hate him. And it's all coming back to me now. Uh. You guys, I just want to say quickly, if you want more Jillian and me, there's over 200 full ad-free bonus episodes on the Patreon. We're covering Heaven's Gate right now. You're getting that this week, by the way. That is happening. You're not not getting the Patreon. We're just taking a week off from the regular episode. But it's everything from, you know, Don't F with Cats and I'll Be Gone in the Dark and The Vow and Making a Murderer and Serial. Yeah, we just finished Night Stalker before Heaven's Gate. Uh, We're doing Murder in the Bayou. We have like a whole, it's a whole party. Everyone's invited. If you're into it, please come hang. If you're not into it, okay, we'll see you later. We'll see you next week then. That's totally fine. You can also get ad-free versions of these episodes, after parties, so much stuff on the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Obsessed, or just go to our website, click on the Patreon link. Uh, and that's it, I guess. Enjoy this episode. We love you guys so much. Yeah, we love you. And you know, I, I just have to say, I don't want to be weird about it, but show some respect. We call her Lady Pates too. I mean... <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. We love you. I miss you already. I can't believe we're not doing a new episode right now. Loving you. Please enjoy Drew Peterson, American Murder Mystery. Um, All right, girl. What are we talking about today? We are talking about Drew Peterson, American Murder Mystery. You guys, it's another one of those ID documentaries. I think I liked the documentary better than you liked it. Yeah. I don't know why. I just felt like it went on forever. Maybe I just hated him so much that I'm taking it out on the documentary, which could totally be the case. Like, I understand. My big, big takeaway from this is that Beth Karras really loves her job. You guys, Beth Karras is back. Our legal analyst. She's. Yeah. I hate using people's physical descriptions to describe them, but this is not a visual medium, so I have to. She's the blonde <laughs> legal analyst. Yes. <laughs> you can say blonde. I think that's okay. I just feel gross about it. I am like... <laughs> not like comfortable in myself right now it feels like I don't know why I just like I don't know where I am what I'm feeling what I'm thinking I know there's like a lot of anger I know that I I know the people like that right they like the anger now to yet another new twist in the Stacey Peterson case it's one of the most confounding disappearances of the century this story had everything love affairs jealousy murder 23-year-old mom, Stacy Peterson, vanishes from the suburbs of Chicago. This young, beautiful mother who disappears and her husband's a cop. In this two-hour special, we give exclusive insight into the man at the center of this mystery. Please go home. Please leave me alone. Please don't get involved in my little world. <laughs> this was a man hiding some horrific and dark secrets. His third wife had died mysteriously in a dry bathtub. Was it an accident or was she put in there? And enter the courtroom for an explosive legal showdown. There were audible gasps and a lot of tears. 
It went worse than I could have ever imagined. If I had been an alcoholic, I would have pulled out my flask right there in the courtroom and started drinking. You have a cop who was sworn to serve and protect, who was really a wife-killing machine. All right, let's get started. The whole thing opens February 21st, 2013. It's Will County, Illinois. You guys, we open with a tape of Drew Peterson. We don't really know what's happening. It obviously sounds like he's in court somewhere. He is screaming his head off. And it opens with him saying, good day. And I'm like, oh, God, he's one of those. Good day, my name is Drew Peterson. I hope I don't aggravate the situation here, but I have a lot of things I think need to be said. No, Never forget what you've done here. And then he I just know. screams that he did not kill Kathleen. And I'm like, Kathleen, his wife's right. name is Stacy. <laughs> How many women did this person kill? I know. You guys, at least two. Oh, God. Oh, oh, oh. I wanted to point out in like the little like trailer preview thing, Beth Karras, who loves her job, says mm-hmm. to have a cop who was sworn to serve and protect, who was basically a wife-killing machine. Beth, girl, do Beth. you write your own copy, wife-killing machine? Or watch the news to be shocked <laughs> that a cop did something horrible. It's right. like, Beth, girl, read the goddamn room. Read the room. You look great in whatever pantsuit that is. Stop thinking about the pantsuit and read the room. This is not the time. Can we take a moment for that, just a moment of silence or or something for that time that Beth Karras showed up to one of these documentaries that we covered in that red cocktail dress? In between cocktail parties. She had uh, 20 minutes. She had a hard out at 6.15. 6.20 is the most I can do. The driver's circling. She's in and out. She's got a full dance card, that Beth. As she should. The driver's circling. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Losing it. Let me just be clear. I've lost my mind. Okay. So we're going back in time. Now it's October 29th, 2013. We're in Lockport, Illinois. It's the middle of the night. It's between yeah. 3 and 4 a.m., which, like, nothing ever. I'm like, great. It's the middle of the night. Like, right. what horrible thing happened at the middle of the night? Right. But maybe this is a Queens thing. Maybe this is an Italian thing. I don't know. Or an Irish right. thing. If you call someone on an off hour, what happened? Oh, God, what happened? You know, right. when someone. Totally. If, like, I call my mom at, like, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, God, yeah. what? What? Are you okay? What happened? Where are you? Does dad need to get you? What's happening? Where are you? So, you have great parents. Hi, Barbara. My parents are awesome. Hey, Barbara. Hey, Till. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, oh, God, this can't be good. Also, it's right. called an American murder mystery. I ha- I still, to this day, don't fully get it. So, it's like 3 in the morning. 22-year-old Cassandra Kales walks into the police station to report that her sister, Stacy Peterson, is missing. Now, listen. We need to address this. We just got to get it out of the way. What's up? Cassandra, her sister, has a very deep voice. Yeah. Which is wonderful. It's great. It's fine. I love it. But I just want to point it out. It might be a little confusing because it's not a visual medium. It's yes. her sister, Cassandra, and she has a very deep voice. Yeah. So, we learn that Stacy Peterson is the mother of four. She's married to this guy, Drew. She's 23 years old. And Cassandra, her sister, who I am obsessed with, Cassandra is not wasting any time. She hadn't heard from her since earlier in the day on Sunday. So it's Monday, right? Today is Monday. It's like 3 a.m. Sunday into Monday, right? Right. And it's totally unlike Stacy to just this radio silence. It's not like her. And we learned that they hung out all weekend together. And like on Saturday, she's like, okay, bye, sis. Like, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, love you. Just call me when you wake up tomorrow and we'll like figure out the day. Yes, yeah, see you in like not even 12 hours. When I was leaving that Saturday, so just call me when you get up and we'll plan our day from there. 
and gave her a hug and said, I love you, and left. Cassandra's freaking out. She's at the police station. And now we get a little bit of backstory on Stacy. So put a pin in Cassandra. We got to learn a little about Stacy. Stacy was my best friend. She was a girly girl. Stacy was pretty much the life of the party. She was very vibrant and happy. The most amazing mother. She was beyond involved. She did everything with those kids. We learned that, like, she loved her kids so much and, like, wanted them to have nice things, so she started selling Avon. She was an Avon lady. There's got to be a better way, no? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that is the best way. <laughs> but we learn about Stacey and also Cassandra. They didn't have a great childhood at all. No, it sucked. And we learn it's like everything is, is like, worse and more traumatic than the last thing we heard. It's like, I oh, know. my God, it's really bad. She didn't come from what I would say would be the perfect family. There wasn't a lot of money in the home. She did not have a lot of things. Before she was born, her family house burned down and a sister died in the fire. When she was a baby, she had another baby sister who died of SIDS. And her brother went to prison on a sex offense. And then we cut to Cassandra. This is the craziest part! But Cassandra says it like, I've been through enough. Like, she, she's <laughs> like, she's dealt with it in her own way. She's fine. We are the ones who are scandalized because she's like... My mom disappeared around 1998. I need answers on this. Where is the mother? Drew Peterson has something to do with it. <laughs> Probably. Because we'll get into the age difference in a minute. Yeah, yeah. But we learned she, like, grabbed her Bible. Yes. Was like, bye, I'm going to church and never came home no and did so... anybody look into that i need more information you guys people don't just like up and vanish isn't there a whole podcast called that yes but it's about one person oh <laughs> <laughs> like, clearly it happens enough if there's a whole show about it girl <laughs> but they did like they lived with their dad and they moved around a lot they didn't have a lot of friends because like you know it's that horrible heartbreaking thing you hear just when they would settle into a community they'd be uprooted again that's why cassandra and stacy were so close yes. that was their only real sense of stability was each other yeah so we're back to the police station, and we get the story that Cassandra tells the state trooper. She says, I've been texting her all day. I got no response. Cassandra, because Cassandra is us, Cassandra's like, fuck this. And she gets in her car. She goes over to the house. I go to the house. There's no cars in the driveway. I just knock on the door. One of the kids, Chris, opens the door. And I go, what's up? And he goes, nothing. He goes, mom and dad got in a fight. Mom left. Dad's out looking for her. So Cassandra goes, I didn't want to alarm him, so I just left. <laughs> she handles it really well. My yeah. question is, Stacy's a super young mom. At 23 years old, she has four kids. Yeah. So, like, how old are these kids? Drew, the asshole dad, just left four young children alone? Whether that fight story is true, which it's not right. at all. But right. even if, like, <laughs> even if Stacy ran out and Drew was like, no, the love of my life, no, come back. You still left your four very small children alone. I know. I That didn't, me, that shit always occurred to me. It didn't even occur to me this time, girl. See, you don't have to be a mother to know when someone right. fucked up. So Cassandra calls Drew. Yeah. Because right? she's had it. She's like, right. something is up. You left the kids alone. She's yeah. over it. Again, yeah. our people. So she calls right. Drew. She's like, I'm getting this bitch on the phone now. Yeah. Not tomorrow. Now. And he answered the phone. He sounded out of breath. I could hear keys. I could hear like a door open, like when you open a car and it dings. He was just ranting off. She took her bikini. She took the deed to the house. 25,000. She left me. He was just raging and saying she was cheating on him. She took her bikini, 25 grand, the deed of the house, and she's gone. Immediately, what? this is bullshit. Can you imagine, number one, does anybody know where the deed to their house is? She no. wanders around the house, grabs 25 grand, her bikini, and the deed to the house, girl. And then just leaves. Right. Like, girl, 
This is just a bad lie. It's, it's a really bad, a bad lie. lie. Yeah, and then yeah. he's like, oh my God, she was cheating on me on top of all this. And so now, oh, guess who's here? This Dylan Howard person we don't like? This Dylan Howard guy, he's an investigative reporter. I'd like one credit to prove it. We never see like for the Daily Mail, like nothing. We just say investigative reporter. It sounds like this guy has written his own script for this interview. Everything <laughs> he says is so, so scripted. I know. He was in the Britney Murphy doc, I guess. And we said it as kind of a joke. We were like, oh, he's British, whatever. But it just didn't land at all because people are just like, he's Australian. And I'm like, okay, mate, fine. He's Australian. Um, I don't know why the Australians want to claim this guy. I think he's trash. So Aussies, if you want him, you got him. But anyway, so he's like. There is a profound analog to this scenario in Stacey's life. In 1998, her mother, Christine, seemingly abandoned the family. Perhaps Stacy was doing the same. Stacy's mother left her whole family behind. Is Stacy doing the same? Like he brings nothing to these shows. Right. I don't know why he's here. He <laughs> gives us he gives us nothing. So Cassandra's telling the cops about this conversation and they're like, well, hold on a second. Drew Peterson? Like right. Sergeant Drew Peterson? Yeah. This bitch is a cop. He works in the next town over. Great. Right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> And, like, this is where we get the Drew backstory. He grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. None of it's important except for the fact that, like, we learned that, like, he kept getting jobs on the police force and then getting, like, reassigned because he was terrible at them. But what we really learn is that Drew meets Stacy when she's 16 years old. Yeah, yeah. Because Stacy, she had to grow up really fast. She's 16. Yeah. She's working the overnight shift at a motel. Doing what? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what her job was working the overnights. Who hires a 16-year-old to work overnights anywhere? I don't care if it's the library. You don't You're hire right. a 16-year-old to work an overnight shift. I don't care what it is. Oh, my God. Drew is there. He's, like, having cocktails at the motel or whatever. I know. He's there with his partner. <laughs> his partner is praying. I'm using the... He's praying on yeah. Stacy's friend. So, Drew is praying on Stacy. Drew Peterson is in his 40s. Stacy is 16 years yeah. old. Yeah. And someone's like... If you see pictures of what Stacy looked like when they first met, she looks like a child. She was a child. She I was 16. <laughs> I know. I know. And they say that, like, he offered her everything she never had in life like financial stability she wouldn't have to worry about money i think she felt like stability she felt some security there he gave her a place to live gave her a car all of a sudden she could go on trips he gave her a life she never had growing up gave her a place to live i was like where was she living i know it's so sad like she and cassandra must have they, all they had was each other truly like that's really what it feels like and if you have to take an overnight at the motel that's so scary for a 16 year old girl to be doing so if it's not bad enough that drew peterson is a full-on predator sexual predator yeah. he's married when he meets stacy to a woman named kathleen salvio yeah and so like drew and stacy have to date for two years because like the divorce to kathleen isn't final and she's not legal oh my god that didn't even occur to me girl he's He's killing time. Oh, God. Oh, oh Men God. are the worst. Daisy, I daddy loves you, girl. Oh, God. Tell her to come to me. I'll, I'll teach her. I'll teach her all this. <laughs> He's killing time. That didn't even occur to me. He's waiting for her to be legal. He knows the law. So Drew's divorce Kathleen goes through on October 10th. Drew and Stacy get married on October 18th. He's wasting no time. No time at all. So we're back to Cassandra, who's been at the police department, and, like, she fills out all the papers and whatever, and they're like, okay, girl, we'll do what we can. She has not had it. She grabs her gay, Bruce. When I left state police, I went to Stacy's house with my friend Bruce. As she approaches the house, she's stunned by what she finds. And they see both cars are now in the driveway. That's Stacy's car and Drew's car. What's going on? You know, is she home? 
I just looked at Bruce and I said, what do we do? And he goes, call. Like, there's no way he's not her gay, right? Yeah, because she's like, I'm not going to just sit around and do nothing. Calls up right. Bruce, answers on the first ring. Right. You know Hey, he girl. Did. He answers like this. Hey, girl. Hey, what's up? Is it cocktail o'clock, girl? No, it's not. We got to find my sister. Right. And he's like, oh, <laughs> shit. Bruce is there in two seconds flat. Find a friend like Bruce. Exactly. Girls, get yourself a gay. I'm not saying that straights can't be great friends, too, but get yourself a gay. So Bruce and Cassandra drive over to Drew Peterson's house. Now, remember last time we were here, there were no cars in the driveway. Now both cars are in the driveway. Right. And so Cassandra's like, well, girl, what do I do? And he's like, girl, call this bitch. So Bruce, Bruce, the world's best gay, takes matters into his own hands. He's like, girl, give me your phone. He puts it on speaker. He calls Drew. And Bruce is like, Drew, where is Stacy? And he just starts ranting off to Bruce. She's not here. She left me. So Bruce goes, why is her car here? Drew told Bruce that Stacy took off with a boyfriend and left the car at Clow Airport, and I had to go pick it up. She left me for some other guy. She left her car at the airport, so I had to go pick up the car, and that's why her car is here now. And I'm like, wait, this all happened really fast, and now you're worried about the woman who just left you high and dry, took the deed, took 25 grand, left <laughs> you with the kids. Now now you're like, oh, I should move her car. She's not going to want to get that car towed. Like, now you right. give a shit. In the middle of this, you're leaving the kids alone again to drive to the airport. Like, the story makes no sense. Girl, the deed to the house. That's a detail. Where did you come up with that, Drew? Do they even have deeds to houses anymore? <laughs> Who knows? I'll probably never know. If they do, it's probably written in that old timey, those 1940s, like that old... <laughs> Do those old documents. Do totally. deeds exist? I'm an adult. I promise. I know I know, I know things about the world. I swear. So Cassandra and Bruce drive to the airport. They're like, all right, we gotta go check out this story. They drive to the like the small local airport where Drew says he just went to get Stacy's car. And they get there and they're like, oh girl, there's a camera. Jillian, how do you think this works out? Not great, Bob, to quote <laughs> Mad Men. Cassandra pleads with the officer to retrieve the footage from the camera. The cop told me, oh, everybody knows that, that camera doesn't record. So, and that was it. The cops are like, girl, aren't you adorable? <laughs> everybody knows that camera doesn't record everything, you idiot. And I'm like, we need security camera reform. That's what we need. Add it to my platform. Why? Why do they do this? It is unreal. It, everybody knows. I, <laughs> like, who? Like, wait a second. I can't. Like, that statement, I know. it won't settle in my brain. Everybody knows that the camera at the airport doesn't record, like, as a, as a rule. I know. And here's the thing that struck me on my second time watching this. I was like, well, the story here is that Stacy grabbed the deed, a bikini, 25 grand, met a dude, drove to the airport, got on a plane, and abandoned her life. Did you guys want to go into the airport? Did you want to check the cameras inside the airport? Maybe go to one of the airlines, get the data, see if she actually got on a flight. Like, talk to anybody at this small, tiny airport and say, like, did anyone see a lady with a bikini, a deed, and 25 grand run through here on her way to a flight? Yeah, but he's a cop. It's one of their own, you know? But you could, like, Cassandra could have done it. Just go in and ask a goddamn question. Cassandra has a lot on her plate. She's <laughs> done plenty <laughs> at this point. Plus, Bruce just wants to get to happy hour. Do you know what I like, mean? Like, come on. It's 6.02 already. I like, God. No, Cassandra rules is what, I know, something Cassandra's I wanted to say. She's awesome. But yeah. here's the thing. So, like, nothing makes sense. Cassandra knows Drew is involved. And the state police start investigating Drew Peterson. 
even one of their own. And this is where like we learn even more that like they didn't really like Drew Peterson. (laughs) He was a really shitty cop and everybody knows it. And like this guy, Captain Carl, who I love and we see in a flashback at some point and he has a really, really bad haircut in the flashback. Oh, it's so bad. I know. I missed it entirely. Poor guy. I know. Even the second time watching it, I was like, oh, the bad haircut. I forgot. Oh my God. How bad was it? What was it like? It was like a bad buzz cut that grew out and like he just didn't know what to, it was just bad. It was so bad. I know. Captain Carl, get yourself a gay friend. If you had called Bruce, you never would have let this happen. Once again, just get yourself a gay. Get yourself a gay. These people. So we learn. Drew had a reputation. He at one time was a member of the Joliet Area Narcotics Unit, which the state police administered. Drew was dismissed from that unit over an allegation that he provided information to an outlaw biker gang that could have caused a problem during an undercover drug deal. Those biker gangs are like super heavy into like the drug trade, like meth and like, yeah. like do, you don't, do not mess with the biker gang. So I guess- How he, does Drew know them? Is he their friend? Because Drew Peterson sucks. I know. <laughs> He's just a bad guy. Yeah. So he like totally blows this undercover drug deal by like giving them all this information. They were probably paying him. He's just a low life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Total low life. And so Captain Carl tells us like the state police really did not like him. Like he had a really, really bad reputation. This guy's a bad cop. Yeah. So they go to Drew's house to question him. Right. You know, they sit him down and they ask him all the questions like, when did you see her last? What did she say? Who was she with? And his story is that like, look, I haven't seen her since yesterday. I got home from work around 5 or 6 a.m. I talked to her right before I went to sleep. My kids woke me up at 10 a.m. To which I wrote, what kind of monster sleeps till 10 a.m.? Oh my well, God. When you go to bed at 6? I know, but even It's four still. hours of sleep. Also, the kids are waking him up. Like, were these kids ever supervised? Like, what is going on? Then he's like, my kids woke me up at 10. Stacy was already gone. Drew is just like going about his day, running errands. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky. He claimed later he got a call from Stacy where she informed him she was running off with another man and leaving him and the children. And he never heard from her again. Stacy calls him, is like, hey, guess what? I'm leaving you and the whole bikini, the 25 grand, the deed of the house, that whole story. <laughs> I'm leaving my kids who I love, like all this stuff. And like, the thing is, if Stacy's going to go, she would have just gone. She's right. not going to call him and say, like, this is such bullshit. And don't even look for the deeds of the house. I got it right here with my bikini. Bet you didn't even know we had one. <laughs> Bet you didn't even know where it was. The thing that like was so glaring to me here was that like to make up this bullshit story that she called you from the airport en route to wherever, you really have to believe you're going to get away with this. You really have to believe that right. you're going to get away with this to make up a story like this. You would have to think that maybe he's done this before. Oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so the cops start looking around and he's like, yeah, yeah, you can look around my house, but don't disturb anything. Who are you? I know. And then the cops ask if they can like look in the cars. Drew owned a Denali and Stacy had a, a Grand Prix. He allowed us to only search the Denali, but didn't want us in Stacy's car. Beth Karras has a major issue with this girl. Girl, same. I know. Beth Karras is like, that threw a lot of suspicion on him. So that casts a little suspicion on him. Like, why not? Why isn't he giving them everything they want? Why can't they search Stacy's car? So then the media gets wind of this. Of course, like, missing, beautiful, young, white woman. Right. The media is all over it. And, like, it just gets bigger and bigger because Drew is so completely unhinged. He's, like, talking to anybody that will talk to him, but then at the same time getting mad at these reporters and, like, getting in their faces. Showing it's like to be Drew Peterson. And having this guy in my face like this. Please go home. Please leave me alone. Please don't get involved in my little world. (laughs) 
I'm not going to go hide in the corner and cry about it. You know, it's just like I personally uh, grieve over it. Uh, uh, if I do that all on my own. <laughs> in my notes, I have, oh, great. Here's a clip of Drew Peterson on the news saying, and I quote, well, I'm not going to sit home and cry about it. I'm oh sorry, what? Because what he's doing is he's saying, look, she left me. Yeah. Like he says, like, I'm not going to sit home and cry about someone who is like dead and missing because they're not dead and missing. She left right. on her own accord with the deed in her bikini. Like right. he's trying to he's <laughs> gaslighting everyone and trying to believe his own bullshit. So you will believe the bullshit. But like no one is falling for it. They've got every cop in the world out looking for her. Everyone's like, why isn't he looking? Why? Because you guys, he killed her. He's not right. looking because he killed her. He has like the cockiness and the confidence and the weirdness of Michael Peterson to me and I you know. know how I felt about him. I know. <laughs> but we, you guys, we get this one cop. So the cops are searching everywhere. They're dredging lakes. They're searching fields. This one cop says to us, there were several times when we would search areas where skeletal remains were found. All of those proved to either be maybe male skeleton remains or different age bracket than we were looking. But where, who are they? <laughs> I was like, you guys, can we solve those murders too or no? That is, I oh, I said the same thing that broke my heart and made me enraged at the same time where I was like, wait, you care about those remains too though, right? Like it's not just the pretty white girl. Like I know. what happened? I don't I know. Oh. This is girl, this is not a safe town. This is not the last time we're gonna hear something like this. I know. S- sit tight, everybody. Oh my god. This is not a safe place to live. If you live there, get out. And like I was just like, what kind of world is this where we can say we found so many remains, but unfortunately not none of them were Stacey Peterson's and I'm like, why is that a sentence we can say when did it go wrong was it always this bad can we pinpoint a timeline (laughs) where it's like well now we're gonna start being able to say shit like please don't rape people and don't know like like what are you saying i know put a pin in it you guys we're not done yet but first we got to learn about this guy scott rosetto and basically like this guy's whole story is like stacy peterson was really into me and i really was not that into her the sexting my god the sexting so this guy was a friend of stacy's from high school that gets a call from stacy out of the clear goddamn blue sky. He's like, I haven't spoken to her in six years and she calls me. And I guess like he just let the call go to voicemail because then he's like, and then she called me the next day and I actually picked up and we, yeah, we talked for a while. And the reason we're talking to this guy is because Drew Peterson points his big fat stupid finger in all of our faces and it's like you should talk to this guy that she's really chummy with from high school his name is Scott Rosetto if she's with anyone she's with him so the cops bring this guy in and this is where we learn he's like girl what am I doing at a fucking police station he's just like a deer in headlights he's like what is going on and it turns out Stacy's missing he's the last guy that she's been communicating with and we learn he admitted that he had a platonic relationship with Stacy that he was very much aware that Stacy was married with children. Most of the time we were together, it was her just talking about, you know, like relationship type stuff. She said she wanted a divorce and that it wasn't gonna work out. And he says to the cops, he's like, look, we were friends. I knew she was married. I knew she had kids. They did talk about her relationship issues. She did tell me that she wanted a divorce. Yeah. And then he tells this story so this guy scott tells this story that one night like a week before the disappearance he and stacy go out to like a diner they're just going out and yes. it has to be said stacy is being very aggressive with him and he mm-hmm. is not reciprocating he's not into her but he like he's hanging out with her and so they're at this restaurant well, all of a sudden they see this bowling squad car circling the restaurant and it's drew peterson and he's staring at them and then he parks his car and comes in doesn't say anything and just forcibly sits down with them and stares at all of them. 
He like moves like Scott over with his body. You know what I mean? And he's in full uniform. So yeah. he's really laying it on thick, really trying for the intimidation. And it was yeah. a super tense situation. It's exactly what Drew wanted. And Drew just says, I don't want you two hanging out. And then he gets all cop and he's like. And he asked Mr. Rosetto for his identifications and he provided him with his driver's license. It was crazy. It's out of a B movie, a bad B movie. And then Drew left the restaurant. That probably made Rosetta realize this is not a woman to get involved with. It totally weirded him out. It's this very tense, very bizarre, like, attempt at intimidation. And then he just gets up and leaves. And Beth Karras tells us that probably made Rosetta realize Stacy was not a woman to get involved with. No. Not even, like, friendly coffee at the diner. Not even that. Like, this is all a little too much. So we got to learn about these cell phone shenanigans now. Right. So Drew Peterson tells the cops he got a call from Stacy the night she went missing. That's the I'm taking the deed, the bikini, 25 grand call. Right. That's the call we're talking about. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. The nonsense bullshit call. So the cops get the cell phone records and they realize they see that a call was made, but they also see that there are like flirty text messages going back and forth between Scott, the friend, right. and Stacy. And at this point, the cops are like, oh my God, is Drew Peterson maybe telling the truth? And and because that call, it came from the area where Scott Rosetto lives. So right. not only was that call placed in his neighborhood, they see all these sexy texts. Now, right. wait a second. Maybe Drew is onto something here. And so they call this Scott Rosetta guy back in and he's like, you've got to be shitting me. And he sits down and this is where he says that like, he said, look, I'm a flirt. She's a flirt. Yeah, that's what we were doing. But that's as far as it went. But it was clear in his mind that Stacy was pursuing him. After that Friday, her text started to get even more risque. She actually, she kept asking, hey, do you think before you bed? Basically, she was calling me a lot and saying, like, she wanted to come over and hook up, and I really didn't want to do it. But that's the end of it. Like, nothing ever happened between us. So they check his alibi. He's a nurse. He was at the hospital being a nurse the whole night. Right. The next thing that happens is the FBI calls the cops, and they're like, uh, ladies, there's an individual in the hospital who has, like, insane information on your Stacey Peterson case. You want to talk to this guy. And so this guy's name is Thomas Murray, and he turns out to be Drew. It's Morphe, because they say Morphe. You're they right, call it right, they yeah. call him Morphe like an annoying amount. Yeah, you're right. So this guy's name is Thomas Morphe, and he's Drew Peterson's stepbrother. And he's in the hospital. So the cops, like when I guess when he's recovered, they bring him in. And he has this story to tell. He's saying the night before Stacy disappeared, Drew came to him with a concern that she was having an affair and he wanted to do something about it. And this guy, Thomas Morphe, thought they were gonna do something about it in terms of like being up the guy or whatever. No, kill, kill. okay. <laughs> Sorry, explain it to me in mafia terms. Explain it to me in mafia terms. Because Drew was like, you got to help me take care of something. And Thomas Morphe tells the cops, he's like, I assumed we were going to kill the guy. Right? Like, and I'm thinking, <laughs> think of what kind of person this makes Drew Peterson. Or Thomas Morphe while we're talking about it. I know. And so it's just like, think of what this conversation means where he's like, I didn't know we were going to kill the wife. Like, I, I thought we were going to kill the guy. I didn't think it was going to be Stacy. You guys, this is crazy. And like this story story is so insane. Remember the, the phone call Drew Peterson said he got about the bikini and the deed to the, the house deed, and the 25 yeah. grand and I'm leaving the car at the airport and I'm out? And it came from Scott Rosetto's neighborhood? Yes. So this is how Drew Peterson made that happen. They met and Drew drove him to a park. I was standing in a park drinking a Starbucks coffee, walking around in circles. 30 minutes after Drew left, there was a phone call and the cell phone said it was Stacy's cell. 
calling. But it's not really Stacy. It's Drew Peterson using her phone to call his own phone to plant the seed that, like, this call came from the area where this guy Scott lived. And frame Scott. And frame, frame Scott for murder. Right. <laughs> also, most importantly. And Scott's like, I'm just trying to be a male nurse over here. I'm just doing the good work. I am saving lives. Yeah. So Drew comes back, picks up his stepbrother, and he's like, all right, come with me. I need help with something. And the stepbrother's like, I really didn't want to go, but he's a bully, and now here we are. You guys, you can just say no. You don't have to do it. Like, when people ask you to do crazy things, you don't have to. I don't know, girl. Like, <laughs> shit gets scary. If I'm in, like, a parking lot, and I, like, I know that when my stepbrother calls me, it's because we have to take care of a body. Like, I don't know. We're also going to find out in a minute that the stepbrother was totally hammered. So I I'm know. sure that plays into this, too. Also, I could really go for a fucking cocktail right now, girl. Oh, God. <laughs> my throat is killing me for some reason. I've been screaming. So Thomas is like, I don't want to go, but he does anyway because Drew Peterson bullies him. So they yeah. go to the house. They go up to the bedroom. Suddenly, there's a large blue plastic barrel. You guys, these barrels are only made for one reason. If you are a retailer selling these barrels, when somebody buys one, you have to call the police. Why do I have to say this in every episode? When a guy goes to Walmart and buys zip ties and duct tape and- I was going to say, especially when they buy it with like rope. I know. <laughs> And duct tape. And trash bags. Call the police. And a hammer. Like, come on. Right. A shovel. Right. It's very clear to me what's happening here. I, can you just see the guy, like, ringing the guy? Boop. You having a good night? Yeah. Boop. Boop. Yeah. Oh, looks like someone's having a party. Boop. Boop. Right. Boop. <laughs> what? Stop selling this. Stop making this stuff. We don't really need it. Yeah. I can't get my meds, but I can I buy a gun and a barrel and rope right. and duct tape. You know how hard it is to get my own mental health medication, my ADHD meds? Do you know what a rigmarole it is month to month I when know. I've been on it? But I can go get everything I need to clean up a murder like that. Thanks, America. Anyway, <laughs> is it clear that Stacey's body's in the barrel, right? right. And, the, and the brother is helping Drew Peterson drag it down the stairs. This is I so know. horrible. This is so fucked up. Drew Peterson is saying to the brother, don't spill anything. Drew was telling him to be careful. He didn't want to spill anything. According to Morphe, he was concerned by what he was carrying. He said it was warm to touch. Morphe helped carry it outside into Drew's Denali. And then Morphe got back in the car and Drew took him home. Like, there's got to be some kind of, like, I'm sorry, you guys, this is horrible. Like, block your children's ears. But there's, like, body-dissolving acid in that barrel, right? It's horrible. And it's he's saying, yeah. don't spill it on the carpet. What the fuck? I know. People have been wanting us to cover this case forever, and now I know why. God, I knew nothing about I this don't. before this morning. <laughs> So Drew's like, hey, thanks, stepbro, for all your help. Drops him off at home. Thomas immediately starts drinking. He tries yeah. to OD on pills. He can't believe he's so guilt-ridden and feels so horrible and is so disgusted and he just can't live with himself. So that's yeah. how he ends up in the hospital. Right. So the cops now know all of this and they're trying to like find out what might he have done with this blue barrel. You guys, they tell us about what can only be described as like the death canal. The cop is saying to us like there is this area of like this town that we all live in that is so dangerous and so chemically unfriendly and environmentally toxic. And he's like, the look on Jillian's face right now. Do you see where like, my hand is? Stop I know. clutching the invisible pearls. I, I know. hate this. Can somebody also go clean up this area? Like, why? Go clean it up. They say to us, like... So we decided to have divers go in the water there. We searched for days, if not weeks. We started towing cars out of there and searching each car thinking maybe a body's in here. And I think we pulled out 25 or 30 stolen vehicles, but no body. 
They find so many stolen, abandoned cars. They start just pulling them up, thinking they're going to maybe find bodies in the trunks. This is not a safe town. I don't like this at no. all. You guys, if you live near this town, you got to move. You got to move. Illinois, between Blago and this shit. My goodness <laughs> gracious. Look, it's ID. It wouldn't be an ID documentary if Larry King wasn't here for a minute. Drew Peterson appears on Larry King to say, like, you guys, my stepbrother is a total nutcase. I really don't want to badmouth Tommy. He has some serious emotional issues. He was losing his house, losing his wife, had a drinking problem, had a suicidal problem. Uh, so I really, and he is a family member, so I really don't want to badmouth him here. I don't want to badmouth the guy. Uh, he goes on TV to totally, like, assassinate the main witness's character, and Larry King lets him. Larry, girl, do some due diligence. Like, why do we keep giving these people airtime? I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. But then we realize, as if things weren't bad enough, Stacy isn't the only one of Drew's wives who's died. Oh, my God. The woman he left for Stacy, her name is Kathleen Savio. Yeah. She also died. Stacy was his fourth wife. So now we're talking about Kathleen, his third wife. This is the whole thing about, like, how does everybody not know this? I feel like we're all learning it in real time. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, this is bananas. Look, if you're a man and you have two wives die, I don't care if it's provable that they were both natural causes, put that guy in jail. I'm looking at you, Michael Peterson. What are I you know. talking about? I both know. falling down the stairs. Are you I nuts? I know. <laughs> Please. I don't think he did it. I don't think he did it. You just said he should be in prison. I'm saying put him in jail. I stand by it. You get two wives that die, you go to jail. That's just how it works. For that goddamn pipe, if nothing else. <laughs> so so Kathleen's death was ruled a freak accident. But now that yeah. Stacy's missing, everyone wants to look into it more because obviously. So enter Jim Glasgow, oh who's the state's attorney. And he's like, I don't think so. We're stopping all this. He's like, right. uh, it was not a freak accident. It's yeah. very suspicious. And he goes, we hadn't had an exhumation in 40 years. I mean, so when I said, we're going to do an exhumation, everybody said, what? We're going to do a what? I said, absolutely. We have to do some of the examinations that should have been done at the original autopsy. And the thing about this, we're going to get to why they're exhuming the body in a minute. It's a yeah. very good reason. We actually see the images of the exhumation. We see them, like old news footage of them pulling the casket out of the ground. Girl, ghoulish. Ghoulish, girl. Ghoulish. Ghoulish. I don't like it. What happens with Kathleen's death is that Drew has the kids for the weekend. He's like taking them to like the whatever in Chicago. The aquarium. The aquarium. He comes back and he's going to return the children to Kathleen and so he says he's calling her and calling her there's no answer he goes to the house he's knocking on the door no answer he's like questioning the neighbors like going door to door like have you seen her he gets a locksmith to open the door well he gets a locksmith to open the door but then refuses to go in according to Drew it would be better if he didn't go into the house after all he'd had this acrimonious split from Kathleen so someone else can go in the house so he contacted the neighbors Mary Pontarelli and Steve Crescerano this is the same thing with, like, Jean Bonnet that we found out about. Like, right. these people who commit these murders, like, don't want to discover the body. They want somebody else to do it. So they put other people in the position of discovering the body. And so he gets these two next-door neighbors, Mary and Steve, and these two poor people go into the house, and they find Kathleen dead in the bathtub. And Mary screams bloody murder as I would do. Of course. Drew hears this, rushes in, and they call the cops. And, like, because Drew is a cop, he's able to manipulate the crime scene. 
scene and be able to say like, oh my God, she must have fallen and hit her head and nobody investigates. There are bruises all over her body, but because yeah. Drew's a cop, like the guy who who's there to investigate the scene is like, oh, you're a fellow cop? Drew's like, nothing to see here. He has everybody touching everything, like yes. Jean Bonnet, the same thing. So they're just like, oh, it was a freak accident. Yeah. Her ex-husband's a cop. This is must be totally fine. They brought the body to the coroner's facility. They led the forensic pathologist to believe it was an accident. And so he didn't do as thorough an autopsy as he might have done. Officials quickly determine the cause of death is drowning. Be hard to imagine a more flawed investigation. It was over before it started. No, so that's why they exhumed the body because they're like, wait a second. They go through the paperwork of the autopsy the first time and there are all these bruises that make no sense and they were right. never investigated in the first place. No investigation was done at all. But now that Stacy is missing and it's so, it's so clear that Drew did it, this is why they're reinvestigating the case of Kathy. And Larry Bloom, the forensic pathologist, then is like, um, I'm sorry. I believe there were up to 16 areas of her body that showed injuries and she had bruises on both sides but to slip in a small garden-sized tub in her home and come up with all these injuries, I couldn't conceive of it. I found Kathleen Savio died of drowning due to homicidal means. Okay, now we're on to something here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of this happens, right? Like, right. they're re-looking into Kathy's death. It's obviously been, like, foul play. Drew is, like, lawyered up, but, like, nothing's really happening. And then, you guys, a year and a half later, May 7th, 2009, Drew is arrested and charged with the murder of Kathleen. Yeah. And nobody saw it coming, least of all Drew. Right, because this is more than five years after her death and a year and a half after Stacy disappears. So he probably thought, oh, shit, I got away with murder twice. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, Lucky yeah. me. So we're at the trial and like honestly this goes on forever and ever forever. and like we're not gonna really go into all of it but like the whole point of this trial is that Drew Peterson is on trial for the murder of his wife Kathleen. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile his wife Stacy is like still missing right? Right. What they end up doing is they end up calling this Pastor Neil right? And he's with us and he's super cute by the way. I'm proud of myself for not going a little bit more berserk about it. He's cute. He's totally cute. I'll give it to you. And he's got a story to tell. He's says that like right before Stacy went missing she called him up and was like girl look we gotta meet this guy Pastor Neil doesn't meet with anybody in private he's like we can meet but we have to meet at Starbucks smart smart <laughs> and so he tells us that she tells him the night that Kathleen was murdered she and Drew went to bed at, at the same time and she woke up in the middle of the night and he wasn't there but hours later suddenly she heard Drew come in he walked into their laundry room and she said he was covered in black clothes. He's dressed all in black. He's got a duffel bag. He puts all this women's clothing into the washing machine. Right. My question is like, why did he keep the clothing? I guess it's another question for another time. I know, I know. That was the night Kathleen was murdered, you guys. Right. So everyone's like, huh, that pastor story is pretty interesting. I see your pastor story. I raise you, Harry Smith, the divorce attorney. <laughs> so Harry Smith is called by the defense. And the defense is like, this is great. So this is what the defense wants him to say. Stacy called him a few days before she disappeared. That's true. Because Stacy wants to divorce Drew. That is true also. Yeah. But the defense is like, just go up there and say that she called you saying, hey, could I get more money in the divorce if I say that Drew killed Kathleen? Right. But Harry Smith gets on the stand and says something. It's a subtle difference, but it's very I important. <laughs> what he says is, Harry's like, no girl. Mr. Brodsky wanted to clarify the fact that what Stacy had done was asked me, could she get more money if we told the police he killed Kathleen. He did that a couple of times and he gave me the ability to keep saying, 
No. She said, if I tell him how he did it. Will I get more money if I tell the police I know how he killed Kathleen? Yes. And the defense keeps asking him over and over, well, don't you mean that she said, oh, if I just say it? And Harry Smith here today is like, it was kind of great because they put me in the position where I just kept saying, no, bitch. What she said was, if I tell the police how he killed Kathleen, because I know that. And they just made him say it six times. It's all on the record. And like this part of the documentary goes on for like 45 minutes. That's the crux of it, guys. The jury is out for 14 hours. They come back. This guy is fucking guilty. Yeah, he gets 38 years for the murder of Kathleen. Why does he only get 38 years? Like what? Why? That seems like such a light sentence. Give him 38 life sentences. How about that? (laughs) Nothing ever leads them to Stacey Peterson. They have no idea. But Drew gets to prison then just for like icing on this crazy bananas cake. This story is bananas. So two years later, it's August 2014, and a prisoner just writes a letter to the state's attorney's office. His name is Antonio the Beast Smith. They call him the Beast 15 times. <laughs> Beth Karras is like the Beast, the Beast, the Beast. Antonio the Beast Smith was a gang member, a group called Satan's Disciples. In 2011, he got convicted of attempted murder, home invasion, and robbery, and was serving a 40-year sentence. While in the Illinois correctional system, he made a new friend, Drew Peterson. And so basically, he's like, hey, girl, like James Glasgow, the prosecuting attorney, Drew Peterson hires the beast in prison to try to get (laughs) him to get people on the outside to kill the state's attorney prosecutor. And Glasgow, the the guy that's going to be killed, is with us to this day. And he's like, crossed my mind back in 2007, knowing Drew Peterson as I did, that if I undertook this case and I failed and he got away, I'd be in danger. So there was absolute confirmation that my instincts were right. So suddenly the beast is wearing a wire in prison, which must be honestly like one of the stupidest and scariest things you can possibly do. Like that will get you killed or worse in prison, like to wear a wire. But like we hear Drew on tape saying like, yeah, so you'll kill the guy. Oh man, like how great is that going to be? I'm going to be super famous. We should uh, smuggle in some champagne for the night he gets murdered. I know. And so there's another whole trial where they use these tapes against Drew for the murder for hire trial, basically. And he gets another, how many more years does he get? Like another 60 years or whatever? Yeah, he's dying in prison. (laughs) I hate Drew Peterson. (laughs) The end. you guys that's a crazy one it's one of steve tipton's favorite episodes i'm like yeah nope i hated him absolutely hated him (laughs) there it is there she is hated him you guys just a quick reminder if you want more jillian and me go on over to the patreon over like 200 full ad-free bonus episodes download a bitch right the second right now we're in the middle of heaven's gate we just finished night stalker i'll be gone in the dark is one of my recent favorites lacey peterson the menendez murders yeah the vow making a murderer the jinx we did the first season of serial the podcast there's a lot going on Yeah, and it's all episode by episode. So there's so much great stuff over there. Ad-free versions of these episodes. Girl, what are we doing next, do you know? So we're doing... Who Killed the Co-Ed, a term I really uh. take a lot of exception to, but it's about, it's the, the murder of Faith Hedgepath. So we're getting into it. Yeah, she, she was an indigenous young woman. She was in college. She was brutally murdered. The case is bananas. It's a really interesting documentary and we're doing it. Yeah, we have thoughts and feelings, both of those things. So come join us, won't you? Come hang. So you guys stay tuned for the trailer for Who Killed the Co-Ed and our ridiculous and hilarious outtakes from Drew Peterson. I'm sure they're amazing. Oh God, Drew, Pe- remember him? <laughs> Hating him still. <laughs> to this day hasn't left me we love you guys we love you thank you so much bye 
She was killed just off campus. Hedgepath's roommate found her body in their apartment. It's the heart-rending murder that mystified a college community. It was a brutal slaying. Rape was the sweetest person in the world. I can't believe in it, but I'm still in shock. Now, in this one-hour special report, we'll take you inside the murder investigation of Faith Hedgepath. The note said, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. Police have DNA and the murder weapon. There's only one piece missing. Who killed Faith Hedgepeth? In exclusive interviews, Faith's family and friends speak out. I realized I had this voicemail from her. I know that's Faith's voice in the background. I could hear Faith screaming. And groundbreaking forensic techniques are put to the test. After I had enhanced the audio, a picture was being painted in front of my eyes. They released this sketch of face murderer. If the killer out there is hearing this message, we will catch you. Do you know that Diane Diamond and I still DM? We're still like DM friends. Diane Diamond is another one who's always on her way to another cocktail party. Of Again, course. as she should. Her driver's oh, it never stops. No, never she's Lady stops. Diane Diamond. She gardens. She likes to text me from her garden and say hello. All right, you did it. You're best friends with Diane Diamond now. She's not here. She's not in this episode, however. Remember when I asked you as a joke if you thought we were going to be best friends and you said yes? And I meant it sincerely I and I was right. I'm right all the time. It's exhausting being this right, if I may. <laughs> It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> we see the picture. They're like, yeah, that's Drew Peterson clear yeah. as day. You can't see anything. As far as I'm concerned, it's a black square. I know. When the camera works, it doesn't even work. That's what happens. Uh, uh. Can you put this on your platform, too? We got to get, like, all kinds of camera reform, girl. I said security camera reform. That was this episode, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so much in the last two days. I'm like, did I say that in Gone in the Dark or like Unsolved Mysteries? Like what? I, you know, but the thing is, I could be screaming it in every episode is the thing. I don't know what the hell this was, but when they're introducing Kathleen to us, we see this picture of her. I don't know what she's wearing or where she is. She looks like she's in a show. Like she looks like she's yeah. in a dinner theater or something. It, it, it absolutely looks, I was going to say it looks like a dance recital. A little while later, we're going to see a picture of her with her two gays with their faces blurred out. I know. <laughs> and one of them looks like he would have looked really good. Like, you know, when he saw it, he was like, girl, unblur me. Just ask me and I would have signed the piece of paper. 